Want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Philip Levinson is a CEO, he's a CEO mentor and the author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. Lev, g'day. G'day, Michael. So today we are talking about preparation, why it's important and why at the same time it is completely inadequate, why you will feel like you have not actually done enough when you finally get there. The thing that surprised me most is how far out from becoming a CEO you actually need to start preparing for it. It's not something that just happens instantly. You get a call out of the blue, you get the job, you walk into the office and away you go. This is something that you actually have to start planning for years in advance, five or or more years out. Is that right? I think it's a lot longer than that. Jeez. Um, You know, going back to a naval analogy, we follow the 6P rule, which is perfect preparation prevents piss poor performance. It sounds trite, but it's not. You know, you really need to set your goal. I was very influenced uh, whilst I was writing the book by the work of Suzanne Bates, uh, who wrote a seven-piece strategy on preparing for that CEO role. I'll just, if I may, just go through a, a few of them. Sure. But, uh, you know, establish your why. Why do you want to become a CEO? We talked a bit about that in the last podcast, but we'll certainly be talking about that as we develop. Build a compelling vision. So put yourself in the in the position five years hence and look back and see what it was that you did that was compelling in the, in the role. It's like writing your own corporate eulogy. It is. It is. And, it, uh, it, you know, these are things I wish I did. Be the leader of people. Establish your kitchen cabinet. Embrace your development. I mean, there's, there is no place for leaders who aren't constantly developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no place for a leader who's not intellectually curious. Um, get to know your board of directors. That's yeah. very important, and we'll come on to that in detail. And then um, live your leadership values. Again, we see so many people who espouse great leadership values not walking the talk. Yeah. So uh, we'll go through each of those in a bit of detail because there's some real pearls of wisdom in amongst those. But in your own experience, what was your journey like to become a CEO? How far out from actually getting that job did you set your sights on it? My first job. Absolutely. I walked into my first job and thought I want to be the boss one day. Right. So it's a question. And then, and then the question is, well, how'd you get there? And the answer I think is, is hard work. Uh, you decide that you have a plan or a path that you want to follow and, and you work at it. So the first thing is to find your mentors. I was very fortunate early on in my career to have a light shone on me as somebody who had potential to be a future leader. Now, I have to admit that I squandered that and I mucked around and, and, and uh, job hopped a little bit. But there was always a, in my mind, there was always a, direct, a, a clear direction. I want to be at the top of an organization. And the reason for that, as we discussed, is a desire to, to make a difference. So it's study. It's additional study. It's having a plan. It's curiosity. Intellectual curiosity is a very important. It's emulation. It's finding leaders that really appeal for their style. Uh, in the book, we'll read about one of my favorite leaders, Rear Admiral Lee Goddard, with whom I've been fortunate to serve over the last 20 years, both at sea and on operations. 
you know, you find leaders whose style you want to emulate and um, you have a direction. And then when it came time for you to step into the role to become a CEO, was there a, a particular company or a particular job or a particular industry that you knew that you wanted to be a leader in? Or was it just the fact that you knew you had something to offer at that highest level? It was critical that it was a it was an industry that I knew something about and equally critical that it was an industry I was known in. Mm-hmm. So many years before that, I got myself onto industry association boards and actually gave or made it, I hope, a contribution to the broader industry so that when my name was mentioned, people didn't go, who? They might have said other colourful expletives, but they didn't say who. As long as they're talking about you, it doesn't matter what they're saying. Now, you mentioned before uh, the importance of knowing yourself. Yeah. But it's one thing to know yourself. It's another thing for other people to know you and what you're capable of. One thing that seems to be coming up increasingly in executive level recruitment is psychometric testing, which I find fascinating that a test can tell others a lot about you and your ability to do a job. Yeah. Why is that becoming such a, uh, such a big I, thing? I think it's absolutely critical to know yourself before you take the job. If you are of thin skin, if you're the sort of person who curls into the fetal position and lies sobbing, sucking your thumb when you read a bad story about yourself in the media or you hear something bad about yourself, then being a leader of business probably isn't for you. But you need to know that before you start. So psychometric testing has become more and more important. We've all heard of and most of us have done the Maya Briggs. Um, but that was that was then. This is now. Now we're looking more at at psychometric and value-based mm-hmm. assessments. Uh, one, to know yourself, to know your strengths, uh, to work on them, to know what your inhibitors are, to know what you're weak at and decide whether that's going to be something that stops you from taking the job or whether it's something that you need to work on. And the series of podcasts from here, we'll be talking to an expert in that field because it's so important. The other thing that's really important, I keep going back to it, is that the accusation that I used to clear minefields by foot so for me, when I had a senior leadership team and I didn't know them very well, I would try all sorts of different things to get an, a, a reaction from. Sometimes it was quite extreme, not the things, but the reaction. And, uh, and I thought, I wish I knew that about that person. I wish I knew that they're pretending to be an extrovert when really they're introverted. I wish I knew they didn't like public speaking when I've asked them to speak publicly. I wish I knew that they're, they are very uncomfortable with numbers when I'm asking them to do a numbers-based job. So there's a lot of, of self-awareness required then um, and there's a lot of knowing what you're good at, what you're not so good at, knowing the areas that you aren't good at, whether they are going to be something that's going to to, to hold you back. Mm-hmm. You mentioned then the, the importance of the senior senior team and then I suppose the making sure that their strengths can yep. complement yours. And maybe if you've got a few areas of weakness that you've got people around you who can fill those gaps rather than having clones of you there to support you. Well, let's start. If I may, I'll go back to the self-awareness. Self-awareness is incredibly important. Uh, Talking to uh, CEOs, talking particularly to chairs of companies and what they look for in a CEO is a high degree of self-awareness. And that's emphasized by senior executive search firms who are looking for that degree of self-awareness 
as a critical part of the criteria that need to be matched in order to put a candidate forward. So they like to ask the question, what do you think of yourself? And compare that with the references that they've obtained. And if it's vaguely matching, uh, then you go through to the next stage. If you think something of yourself and the references think something completely different, then you have a big problem and you're probably not going to go through. Mm. And I suppose that's, that's the point at which it becomes terminal. And, and you, right. you can learn self-awareness. And, and this is something that we can, that we'll cover later on. Yeah. I think, yeah. but did you, did you ever see perhaps people who had been in the job for a long time that maybe rose to that level a long time ago before self-awareness became an important part of it, before it became something that, that was almost a, a required element of the role? Probably these are more the people that would kind of crash or crash through when it comes to, to management. Absolutely. Have you kind of worked alongside those kinds of people? Is there any instances that you can can tell us about where you have seen that management style and you just look at them and go, there is there is no self-awareness, there is no understanding of kind of what it takes to almost lead in, in a modern corporate yeah. environment? Look, I mean, we've only got, what, 15 minutes for this podcast? <laughs> uh, I can think of two fabulous examples, both of which uh, non-disclosure agreements cover and, and prevent me from talking about any further. That having been said, in a generic sense, it's that lack of awareness that will actually torpedo your career. Yeah. Because if you think that you're being viewed in one way and you are in fact being viewed in a completely opposite way, that lack of, of self-awareness will ensure that you're not, you're not messaging properly. You're not interacting and communicating properly and that there will be conflict and strife. And I remember a very senior CEO for whom I once worked calling one of his partners and saying, there's too much broken glass around you. It's time you went. Really? So the person was a great top producer of fees, but everywhere he went, there was glass broken. And eventually senior leadership said, it's time for you to go. That's, that's quite an extraordinary decision. It's one that we see happening more now where the decision is made that really behaviour and the example that you're setting for others and the risk that comes with that oh, yeah. is now a greater determination of whether you're going to be able to, to continue working than your ability to generate revenue for Absolutely. a company. So in, in my book, I refer to a table, which is very simple. It's a four-axis table, values yeah. and ability. Yeah. Um, if you're of high ability and low value, then you're really not supposed to be yeah. in a in an organisation yeah. uh, because you're the broken glass around you and the management time taken sweeping up that broken glass doesn't make it worthwhile to have you in the organisation. And you need to know that. Yeah. You need to have the self-awareness to know that in times of stress, you frighten everybody or you have a particularly duplicitous nature or, it, you know, you're really not, the sort of person that espouses the value of the entity. And that's fair enough. Go and, go and work somewhere else. But I think the really brave thing, and going back to the example I gave before, was for the CEO to say, enough. Uh, there's enough of this broken glass. Even though you're a top performer, you got to go. And in my case, I made a terrible mistake and I didn't do that quick enough. Right. So this is clearly knowing yourself and, and being aware 
is a really important part of the preparation Absolutely. in the lead up to getting into that CEO role or, yeah. or any senior role. Oh, without a doubt. Um, whether you are a, a startup founder yeah. or, or running a family business, being aware of what you are capable of and, and yeah. where your weaknesses are is, yeah. is important. Another element of the preparation that, that you do mention in the book is knowing your industry and, and knowing your peers. Yeah. Uh, does that include, obviously, I, I can see the reason why you'd need to know the industry. You would need to be researching, preparing for taking on a senior role in that industry. And in most cases, you will probably be coming perhaps from that industry yeah. yourself. Yeah. How important then is the knowledge of your peers, not just the people that you're working with, but a detailed knowledge of the people you're working against, yeah. your competitors? Yeah. So I spent a lot of time talking to my peers. Yeah. And it's interesting because by definition, they are in exactly the same role, but doing, you know, in a different, different organization. And, um, we almost had a peer support group, which was terrific. We would sit around and, we, you know, it was really to address issues that, that face the industry in general, but it was also sometimes to address the more specific. And I was incredibly lucky. Some of the peers that I operated with, I could phone up and say, what did you do last time you had a compliance audit? And they'd say, I think you should probably come in and we'll have a chat about it. Because they don't want you to fail. You know, it's like a game of rugby. You take your hits on the field and you have a share of beer afterwards. Um, many of your peers are in the same situation that you are. And there's a, there's a shared knowledge mm. and there's a shared support system. Some of them are not quite so forthcoming or supporting. And, um, you know, you take your licks with them. And so next on the, on the list of preparation is knowing your board, not that you're bored with what you're doing, but knowing the board that you're going to be working for. Absolutely. And that's not just once you're in there and you have got the job, but it, it's actually kind of doing your due diligence yeah. before you get the role, Absolutely. knowing who you're going to actually be working for. Well, that's exactly right. I think, uh, you know, we're going to mention it in the next podcast, which is the seven surprises. But one of the surprises, which I'll give away now, is that you're not in charge. And it's a, it's an inverse pyramid because, um, as a CEO, you know, the definition of, of CEO is the person who takes responsibility for the organization. But as CEO, you have a number of people to whom you report and your relationship with the board is absolutely critical. Again, get that wrong. And, uh, the stars are aligned for the end of your career. You mentioned in the book as well that no matter how much preparation you do, in the lead up to taking on the job, it's not going to be enough. You are no. still going to walk in on your first day and realize just how much you don't know. And I suppose that's something that's important to be aware of. Yeah, it was something I was very not aware of. So I thought I'd prepared and, you know, I followed that 6P maxim that we uh, introduced previously. Uh, walked in to my first day at the job and thought, this is nothing like what I expected. Yeah. And again, research from Egon Zender has shown that that's one of the first things that a CEO gets hit with. This is not what I expected the job to be. Even if they're internal candidates and they know the previous CEO well, there's certain things that you only learn when you're in the job. And so that's not something then that you can really prepare for. It's, it's almost just 
being aware of and acknowledging the fact that no matter how much you do, there is a certain amount that you will only be able to absorb once you are in the building. Absolutely. Walking around, talking to people and yep. realising that what's happening inside the building might actually be a fairly bit different to what you're seeing from outside. Absolutely. And it's, it's preparing yourself yeah. to be all prepared. Yeah. It's preparing yourself for the unexpected. And all you can do is have, again, a plan and a, a means for dealing with the unexpected. Seems like a good segue into the now what moment. <laughs> Tell me about the now what moment well, and did you have one? Oh, well, I, I you know, I don't think I, I was able to get past the God Lev, well done, mate, you've got the job that you've been aspiring to all your life, which is a sentence that probably takes 30 seconds. I think halfway through that, I got hit with the first issue. So you've got the job and you've established your yourself at your desk and you really do get the now what and you need to have a plan to deal with that you need to have an agenda for your first 100 days which will be disrupted but you need to have something to go back to all right i've dealt with that issue that i didn't see coming and now instead of the now what it's now we're going to do this and then this and then this oh by the way there's another issue coming at you which will distract you from that path, but it's something to go back to. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that you rigidly stick to a, to a linear path, because if you do, you're in a world of pain when it gets disrupted, but you have to have something to revert to when the dust settles on the next issue that you've dealt with. And that's the now what. So basically it's, it's something that you can plan for a little knowing what you really want to want to achieve, but you've got to really temper that with the acknowledgement that until you get in there, you're not going to know exactly what the priorities are. Yeah. The priorities that you set for yourself before you take the job are essentially the priorities of an outsider coming in and then that may change on day one. Yeah. You know, we talk about it a bit in the book, but the Colin Powell's 70-40 rule mm. comes in. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have more than 70% of the information you need to make a decision, that's a good thing. And if you're making a decision with less than 40%, you're shooting from the hip. But really where you find yourself mainly is somewhere between that 40 and 70%. And you've got to be able to to handle that ambiguity. And you've got to give yourself the slack and the capability and the time to be able to do it. I feel like we're uh, getting into the meat of it now. Yes. We're in the, uh, we're in the office. We've got the job. Yeah. And so now we're getting into the, the serious business of it. Yeah. Next time, we're going to talk about the seven surprises. You've given away one, so it's really yeah. the six surprises yes, now that we'll right. be getting into uh, getting into next time. But that's a, it's a fascinating list of, of things that any, any wannabe CEO or basically anyone who's aspiring to that leadership position needs to understand that things are not going to go the way they're expecting. So make sure you've uh, pre-ordered your copy of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. The book's released in March of 2021. So if you pre-order it now through basically any website that sells books, Amazon, Dimex, Booktopia, you name it, pretty much be able to order it. You can guarantee that you'll be one of the first to get your hands on it. Remember, hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so that the next episode of Three Peaks Leadership lands in your playlist. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Thank you.